And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Heavenly Father, you're calling, you're calling the same one that made the blind see, the same one that made the lame walk, you're calling. And by the name, by your name, we want to respond. God, for whatever reason that we're here inside this sanctuary right now, in this space right now, or for whatever happened before, may we have just a moment of just stillness. May our minds be clear, may our hearts be open and receptive to your word as it settles and calls us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This is a great passage in Luke. It's actually a parallel passage that's found in Matthew chapter 16 of the same story. And what happens there is that Jesus says, and it's a, it's a pivotal passage in Matthew chapter 16, that basically Jesus says this from this time. In fact, the gospel records in Matthew chapter 16 that right here, verse 16, chapter 16, 21, the entire gospel shifts gear. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And at this moment, what happens in the Bible is that Peter takes Jesus aside and says to him, hey, I, I don't think you need to do this. Uh, I'm going to be with you. You don't need to be taken away. And Jesus says to him, listen, you have to understand this is going to take place. In fact, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, I'm not going to deny you. And he explains the whole thing to him that you're going to deny me. I tell you, you're going to deny me three times. And this is kind of horrible and hard for him to hear this. Then Jesus says to him, then Jesus told his disciples, Matthew records this, if anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, Luke, the person that I just read to you, the Gospels account that I read to you, he actually records the story. And what he says in his version, he says that Jesus didn't say just take up the cross, but Jesus said, take up the cross daily. Take up the cross daily. And I don't know if you knew this, but that's where we got the word, the phrase, daily walk from. That's where we took it from. Because Jesus said we should actually take up the cross daily. It is a daily thing that we do with God. It's not that one time you come along, you say, I give my life to Jesus Christ, and then everything is just hunky-dory. It is every single day that you do this. Every single day that you have to say to Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, every single day. So that's where we actually got the whole idea, the title of Daily Walk, and we write this. You can actually get the Daily Walk by email. We send it out. It's in the church app. Uh, as well, it's on the website. And then Becky and I, we do a, a podcast as well where we kind of compliment and, uh, and discuss that, and it actually really helps in particular for the series that we're in, a brand new series that you see called Love Glue, which is what we're going to be looking at for the entire month of February, Love Glue. Pastor Mike Spiegel, uh, he's out on the East Coast, uh, he actually helped put this together, he put the entire series together, the title for it for us, and chose all the passages, and next week, as I mentioned to you last week, when we're looking at the book of Ephesians, next week we're going to look at the passage in Ephesians called Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, where it begins with the classic words, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm looking forward to preaching on that message, uh, and, uh, and what I would like you to do is just to help me through that by just sending me your advice uh, before I preach on that message. You know, tell me how you interpret that passage. Uh, yeah, send me, send me, you know, your interpretation, your understanding of that. Uh, Becky and I have been discussing it a lot, 
uh, in the podcast this week, um, and you'll see it come up um, because there are, it's a minefield. Right? Uh, there are lots of people who interpret it differently, and, uh, and some would question uh, a lot about that. But that's what we're going to do next week. And then week three, uh, week three uh, Matthew 12, 9 to 13, uh, we're going to look at instructions in the Love to Lose series. And Pastor Danny Hernandez, he's going to be preaching about that. He's going to be talking to us about, hey, how do we deal with respect of each other? What do you do when you want to give up? And how do, you do, how do you handle that? Because that's actually really important. How do you give respect to each other? How do you receive respect? I'm going to be away that Sabbath at the One Project. Danny will be here to preach for that. And then week four, when I kind of wrap the series up, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 12 to 20. A little passage there. Uh, what do we do about this little passage? If you look at it right now, you're like, oh my goodness. God, money, and sex. And uh, those are things that we fight about. God, money, and sex. Not always in that order. And, uh, and so we're going to discuss that here. And I think you're excited about that, I can tell. And uh, how do we deal with conflict? What do we do about this? And what are we called to? Because when it comes to relationships, as a parent, as, a, as somebody in a marriage, somebody who's dating, whatever it may be, we have relationships all the time. There is something that pulls us together. But today, to kind of like pull us together, we actually are looking at the foundation of it, love and glue. And I have a question for you that uh, will kind of steer us along this path here. So question, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever followed, Johnny, what are you doing, man, with your head? Oh, okay, that was just very distracting. Just suddenly Johnny had like this huge thing on his head there and slightly distracting. All right, so what a question, back again. Uh, <laughs> how many of you have ever followed a cookbook? A cookbook. I mean, when I say followed, like actually completed. Not like you opened, bought one and, yeah? Good, good, good. Uh, how many of you have, uh, have actually had one of those recipes just passed on from a generation to another generation with, just by osmosis? You know, you just arrived in the kitchen, suddenly like, I just know, you see, I just know how to cook this somehow, or you have relatives that are just able to do this, somehow they just, they just knew, this is it, and just came together. I've seen people do this, they, they just didn't have a recipe, they just, they kind of like knew how to put this thing together. I've asked people, how do you cook that? I'm like, I don't know, I just saw somebody do it, and just, it just came to me, and I just, I followed it, and I, I can make it exactly the same way. I'm like, I don't know how this happens, but it does happen this way. Um, I know that it's possible to do this, and I've seen people do this. I've said to, to Becky, you know, because she makes amazing food, and, uh, and I've said to her, I've tried to copy some of the food that Becky does, and, and I've, I've tried to cook it, and the boys have not been as impressed. Uh, so I, I make a couple of dishes that the boys are very proud of. Uh, pizza in the oven. Um, the, uh, to be honest, uh, the other day, last week, I may have put the pizza in and left the cardboard with the pizza. Because after 18 minutes, I, I was like, I opened the oven and I was like, why is the center not cooked? And then I was like, I followed the instructions and then I realized that the cardboard underneath had prevented the heat. I was like, and when it said remove all packaging, I, I knew there was something that I'd just... I was just so excited about putting it inside the oven. But yes, yeah, so, not always, not always good inside this. But, you know, and I realized, I actually wrote down, I thought really long and hard about this, why it is that Becky can make something that looks pretty easy, and I thought, I followed it entirely, and I thought, this is what it is. I, I need to pay attention. Uh, there are ingredients, all of them. Temperature, very important. Process, very important. And proportions. Proportions. See, there's this uh, particular sandwich that she makes, um, and uh, it, it's just, it has bread. By the way, 
As of four days ago, I'm no longer gluten-free. The church said amen. Yeah, I know, I know, I just powered through the pain. Uh, boy, I love bread. Anyway, so, and so there's a particular sandwich she has, and it has avocado and all sorts of other wonderful things inside it. And so my view is that if the sandwich is good, if something's good, what you should do is just, if it was really good and you want it to be even better, just add more. <laughs> so that's what I do. I just like it, like, I like avocado, so let me just put the whole avocado in. <laughs> it just doesn't taste the same. And Becky keeps on saying, proportions. Follow the proportions. But, but, but if I just added a little bit more of that, it'd just be like, because I really like that. Like, why not one slice of cheese? Put the whole slab of cheese in there. I mean, just who needs? And so proportions are very, very important. And when you're following a recipe, these are elements in, in anything in food. You have to follow the proportions always. And Paul understands this very well. And you read this text in 1 Corinthians 13, he's like, hey, there are some things inside here, but proportions are important. This is true not only of food, this is true of companies, it's true of the workplace, it's true of communities, it's true of everything. Everything is kind of like a, a fine recipe. It actually does. I had to fly through Chicago the last 10 days. I had to fly through Chicago twice in the last 10 days. And uh, one of them, the trips, it was, I left at the crack of dawn, and as I got to Chicago, uh, I had to go get a connecting flight, and the connecting flight wasn't working because they had to put a, a plate, there was a plate missing with United um, uh, for the cargo bay. And they needed to apparently weld or screw in some kind of plate inside there. And I kept on saying to the pilot, uh, just forget it, let's just go. Uh, it's a short flight, we can do it, we don't need all the cargo, just let's go. And so they would board us and deboard us and board us and deboard us. And I was like, look, I mean, safety, let's just, let's just go for it. I mean, I've been here nearly all day. It ended up being one of those days where I literally arrived in Chicago, spent the whole day working there, watching us board and deboard, deboard, and, and then eventually I just came back to Denver. Never made it to my connecting flight, never did the visit that I was supposed to do, and that was it. I was like, oh my goodness. And then my second trip was on Sunday, and uh, I returned on Tuesday morning this week, um, and uh, was flying back from Chicago. By the way, thank you to Lisa. Uh, she just stepped out right now to get something, but thank you to Lisa Barton, who came to church early that morning, because I was just arriving around 9 o'clock to heat up the room for our Fresh Word group, and got all the food for our Bible study, and, and just made the room just so welcoming and receptive so that we could have our Bible study there. It was phenomenal. But, uh, but I have not been to Chicago airport in five years, right? And I have forgotten, I have forgotten that it's not just cold weather, because they said, oh, it's cold weather, that's why people are like this. No, 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 no. I had forgotten that there's a certain culture amongst Chicago United people, and it is not nice. <laughs> right? right? They, they, just, they are not, not all of them, some of them are really nice, but some of them are just like horrible. I mean, just like they're grumpy, they're ticked off, they're going through, I don't know, some kind of withdrawal from, you know, 400 years before, and they're just, they're just there. And they do not want to help you out at all. In fact, they're like, humans, leave. I mean, this is the kind of experience that I had. So the, the thing is that if you judge United based on this recipe, the portion of this recipe, you would say United was an absolutely horrible airline. 
just based on that, because there's actually many things that's really good about this. Paul understands this so well. He knows this so well. So when he says this and he reads this, this passage in Corinthians, you in fact, you can't just read 1 Corinthians 13. You should know that 12 and 14 kind of this triplet together, that the 12 kind of sets up all the gifts that we have, and 13 kind of says, this is the foundation that pulls all the gifts of the church together, and 14 says, well, now, now you know how church should actually function. 13 is kind of like this, this pivot chapter right in the middle. They actually bond together really well. He says, this is fantastic. And when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, you, you read faith, hope, and love is the recipe. And then he says, but then there's a portion, there's a proportion inside here. He says, but the greatest of these is love. So you've got to make sure the right amount of avocado is in this sandwich, right? You've got to make sure that you make sure the recipe works here. Because if you don't, you're going to have it out of balance. Some of us love faith and hope, and we kind of like diminish the love. And he's saying, I think you need to make sure that you have the right sandwich, because if you don't, it's not going to work well. Now, if you were going to, when I read this passage many, many times, right, uh, when you read about this and you think it's a love poem, it's a fantastic one, if you were picking an author to write 1 Corinthians 13, how many of you would like think, oh, I would pick, I don't know, Goliath, right? That's the first person you think of. I'm going I'm to pick someone to write a romantic chapter, a chapter about love, and your character, you think in the Bible, hmm, Goliath, that would be the one. Or maybe some of you think Samson, because he was drunk the entire time in the stories of Judges, right? Yeah, that'd be great. Or maybe you'd pick Paul. A lot of us would not pick Paul. True is, we would just be kind of scared about this. In fact, as I was saying, Becky and I were arguing about this for the text next week, where at one point I think she did say to me, was Paul ever married? <laughs> And, and I was like, well, um, there's a little bit of debate about that. And she said, well, because he seems to have pretty strong opinions about wives submitting to their husbands, but I'm pretty sure he was single, right? And so maybe he's not the best person to give advice. I'm like, well, next week we will settle this once and for all, you know, and uh, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. You know, it's going to be fine. Help me. All right, so... Uh, but who would we pick? If we look at the Bible, we'd probably pick David. You know, we'd pick Solomon. We'd pick John, the Apostle John, the young, the one who Jesus loved, who he understood love, who wrote so much about love. We wouldn't pick Paul. We don't think of Paul in this way. In fact, 1 Corinthians is used all the time in weddings. It's used in pictures. People use it in songs and they write stuff. But we forget that John didn't write it and Solomon didn't write it. And David didn't write it, and the Apostle Paul did. And therefore, there's something deeper inside here, right? There's like, Paul has always got something packed inside the text that's supposed to like, take you somewhere else. He's not just going to say, hey, look at that rose petal, isn't it pretty? And you're like, yeah, no, no, no. That rose petal has multiple meanings, and it's going to transform your life. It's going to take you to another place, and you're like, no, I don't know if I can handle this. And remember that this guy, this guy is a scholar who understands the First Testament, his Bible. He's got all the stories inside there. He's reading about love all the way through. He's reading about Abraham. He's reading about Sarah. He's reading about Isaac and Rebecca. And by the way, if you haven't got one of those little scrolls over there, you need to get one of those scrolls for the kids because the scrolls tells you the story of Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca, which is going to be a theme that we're going to really pull out next week, more inside here, that tells you the narrative of what love does, where it waits 
And what love does is it grows. I mean, this is the stuff that we're going to have to address. So make sure your kids get that kind of stuff. He understands so many of the powerful words about what love actually means inside us. So he's going to throw this in. This is the same guy who hunted people down, put them in prison, made sure that some of them died. This is the same guy who had this road to Damascus experience and found Jesus Christ. This is the same guy who would later write letters to the Romans and tell them, listen, I need you to understand who Jesus Christ is. But at the same time, he would write to the Galatians and say, man, you talk about circumcision? Man, I hope you would castrate yourself. I mean, he was very, very, very forthright. And this is the guy who uses heavy words to say to them, I want to talk to you about love. Problem is, is that we talk about love in very different terms all the time. So in Corinth, understand this. The five values that people had, the things that they thought was the most valuable things that people thought is this. If you had these gifts, if you were on LinkedIn, if you were, on, you were putting your resume together, you wanted to put your strengths together, you wanted to let people know, I am valuable and you should hire me for your job, you would want to make sure that you had at least one or more of these qualities. You had the gift to be able to speak, to prophesy, to work miracles, to give gifts, or to be a martyr. Anybody who could do one of those things or more, you would be valuable in society. And if you think about today, 2,000 years on, we actually haven't changed, really, at all. We actually love all those five things. We still love those who can speak, don't we? I get emails all the time, people say to me, hey, tell me, tell me when the next, uh, who's the speaker for the One Project? I'm like, why? I'm like, I, well, if you tell me who the speakers are for the One Project, that will determine for me whether I'm going to go and attend or not. Huh? People tell me, when's the next guest speaker coming to Boulder Church? I'm going to attend when you tell me who the next guest speaker is, because then I'll come along to enjoy it, because that's what I'm looking for. I am marvel after speakers. I love great comedians. I like late-night TV shows, because I want great banter. I want great intelligence. We love great speakers. We want motivational speakers. We are addicted by some kind of needle. If you didn't understand what I was doing here, this is a needle, it's an injection. We want this, we're desperately marvel of this. We will pay money to go listen to somebody speak to us for like 20 minutes, and then 30 minutes or an hour, and just say, that's amazing, we love this kind of stuff. And so Paul says, listen, it's great. I know people who are just phenomenal preachers who will stand up here in a church and preach amazing stuff, but if you meet them in person, they're horrifying. Right? They're like, they're like, they're scared to meet a person. I know preachers who will not even shake the hand of a person because they're like, oh my goodness. Oh. They're just like up here, they're family, but meeting a human being, oh my goodness. And Paul says, Paul says, get the proportion right and live love. You can be the greatest speaker in the world, but if you cannot connect with love, then who are you? Who are you? So we still love that kind of stuff. We still love those, by the way, Number two, we still love those who interpret the past, the present, and the future, don't we? Oh man, we love those. Those who can explain what it all means. If somebody comes along and says, by the way, I've written an entire book on interpreting the book of Daniels and Revelation, people are like, oh, have you really? I would like to spend my entire fortune buying everything that you've written about the book of Daniel and Revelation. But if they came along and said, I love you, like, 
great. Let's go back to the book of Daniel and Revelation. That's where we'd like to spend all of our time understanding everything that you can interpret about things and tell me about the future and the past and the present because that's where I want to spend all my time because we want interpretation to be this way. We love this kind of stuff. And Paul says, listen, it's great that you do that. It's fantastic. Actually, I love it. But Paul says the proportion has to be right where you actually are able to live love. Otherwise, you just have it all out of sync. We marvel after those who heal as well, don't we? We love our medical professionals, our doctors, our researchers, and our scientists because they think they're bright and they're intelligent and they're smart. We marvel after them. We say, this is great. We even love those who are into herbal medicines and our vegan-loving cafe gratitude herbivores amongst us. And don't knock it. I've tried cafe gratitude. It's kind of good. They even have a lovely menu. It's okay. We love them because we think to themselves, this is fantastic. We need these kind of people to be able to be inside. We, we, we will follow them. People are constantly like, oh man, I'm my own doctor. Don't you love those people who are like, I don't need to go see a doctor. I will spend my entire time on the, online and I will find everything out on the web because, because the website is not going to mislead you. It will teach you everything. But we do. We, we marvel over those who heal. But, but truth is that while we may love the kind of doctor house who knows everything, what we really want is a doctor that actually loves us, right? Paul says, get the proportion right and live love. We marvel off of those who have great gifts. They give great gifts to charities. They give great gifts to the church and they support mission. We're impressed with foundations like the Bill Gates Foundation. We're impressed with great charities that people are actually are able to do. I, I, I know people who've actually come to me and said, not at this church here, said to me, Oh man, I, I, I just work a lot. I'm going to give you a lot of money, right? I'm going to give a lot of money to church. I just need to let you know that in order to give you a lot of money, you're just going to have to do this, 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 this. And I said to them, thank you. You can keep the money because with that money comes all this control and it's not going to happen, right? I understand what you're doing with the control that you're doing inside here, but the difficulty is that we decline and we, we mingle inside because some of us just marvel after that. Paul says, get the proportion right and live love inside here. We even value those who sacrifice. We call them martyrs. For a great cause, it's worthy, right? Yet some, yet some are motivated from a lack of, they think that they're not valuable and they exist in pain, and they're even angry and bitter that other people don't sacrifice as much as they do because they're not motivated by love. And Paul says, get the proportion right and live love. Our value as humans is not in what we say, and what we believe, and what we know, and what we give, and what we accomplish. Did you hear that? Because we love that. We love what we say, we love what we believe, what we know, what we give, what we accomplish. Our value in humans is that we actually are able to live love. And when I say live love, it means that there is some kind of action behind it. And this is no ordinary recipe. You know, there are many people that work for United Airlines all the time, and if we judge them just based on those few people that I met at the Chicago airport, that particular two days or two trips inside there, I would, I would actually say they're a horrible airline, right? That's what I would do, I just like, the recipe is off sync inside here. There are many people actually who uh, I would say, hey, if, I, if you tried my food, you would say that I'm a horrible cook based on that one sandwich that I've tried to feed my children before more than once. Because the recipe is off. I actually can cook some other things. There are many people though who've come to church and what they've experienced in church is what we say, what we believe, what we know, what we give and what we accomplish. 
but they actually haven't experienced love. And I wonder why they don't want to give Jesus a go. It's like Jesus knew that he needed Paul to write this chapter because nobody else could pack inside this passage something so deep embedded inside this passage so hard as what Paul was going to say to us. Paul knows Jesus and Jesus is love. And that's the truth. And this is difficult for us because we are not this way. I hear these words and all that rings in my head Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Is that I want to follow him. Don't you? We live for Jesus, right? The difficulty is that I think sometimes he feels so distant because we haven't portrayed who Jesus Christ is. I think sometimes that we read this text and we say love is patient and kind and we don't understand what it's really saying inside here. But if you take the word love and you replace it with the word Jesus. And all you say is this, Jesus is patient, and Jesus is kind, and Jesus doesn't envy or boast, and Jesus is not arrogant, and Jesus doesn't insist on his own way, and Jesus is not irritable, and Jesus is not resentful, and Jesus doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, and Jesus bears all things, and Jesus believes all things, and Jesus hopes all things, and Jesus endures all things, then, then we're in a different place entirely because this is not love that we can actually live by. This is not the Hollywood love that we have. This is a love that Paul's saying is like up here. It's a love that we cannot attain by ourselves. And this is what we're called to be. And we run from this all the time. We would gladly, gladly tell people what we say, what we believe, what we know, what we give, and what we accomplish. But to be able to sing and to be able to remember, and to be love, oh, that's way, way, way too difficult. And yet Jesus says, that's what I call you to. I call you to live love. This week, we've been getting ready for this afternoon. And Brittany um, and Sherry and I have been talking a lot about Camp Sanitas, getting ready for the reboot this afternoon. And as we processed this, we did a survey and we had so many great conversations with people, with Jared, um, with Chimney, with Danny, with Ricky, with Vanessa, and so many other teachers who have incredible, great vision, right? This afternoon, I'm going to share a little bit more about the vision of what God has called us to when it comes to all of our children in this church inside here. They poured in about their vision of what God has called them to as well, to live love calls us to a much harder and a higher place than we could ever imagine. It requires so much. It really does. And it's difficult. It is difficult. It's not on our own men parents' side here that we do this. I, I can tell you that not only inside there, there is a long list of things that we need in this church, right? All the time. I mean, we need... Do you know some of the guys... Uh, I was talking to Peter the other day. He's, Peter Martins was running sound for like five weeks in a row. Surely there's somebody else in the church who can step up and say, I could run sound. I could be taught how to run sound. Surely there's one other person. Michael's been running ProPresenter screens for a long time. Cody's going to take over. But we need people to actually just say, I'm willing to come and be taught how to be able to run the screens. Doris made an appeal today for refreshments so we can have somebody take over with that. People to help be a stage manager and producer. You can actually make a difference inside here. The difficulty is, the difficulty is that this is what we hear people say all the time. Um, 
you're asking me to give up on my family, right? Because that's what I'm going to have to sacrifice. And I'm saying, no, do not give up on your family. Give up on your Netflix. Give up on your AMC, A-class, whatever you're doing. Give up on all the other little things you do. Respond to God and do the thing that you can do to be part of this family, but do not give up on your family. Please do not give up on your family, because I know many of you actually would gladly give up on your family. In the name of God, you would gladly give up on your family. On Monday night, I went to see Joshua. And the reason I went to see Joshua is because it was his birthday on Monday. And I, uh, I, um, I don't spend a huge amount of time with my boys. Um, and so I thought, last week I said to Becky, uh, the week ago I said, uh, I said, you know, I'm just going to, it's 19th birthday, it's going to be the first birthday he has by himself. So uh, Becky talks to him every day, she's really connected, beautiful, and I'm so proud, I'm so pleased with that. So I said, I'm going to surprise him, I'm just going to get a flight, I'm going to fly out there, I'm going to turn up, and Sunday night I called him, and... Um, and I said, hey, what are you doing for your birthday tomorrow? I said, well, I'm going to classes. I said, well, you're going to get a cake or something. And we talked about it. So I said, you can't just do this by yourself, you know. So he was really surprised. We were great. We spent the day, classes in and out. And then Monday night, um, you know, winter storm's coming in. I said, all right, I'm leaving Tuesday morning. I'm going to have to try and find a way to actually get to O'Hare instead of staying here. So we better say goodbye. And I held myself together. But as I left the car, I wept. I wept all the way to the room. I wept in my hotel room. I just wept. I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. I'm so happy for the choices he's made in his life. I'm happy for, for where he's going. But I miss him. And I'm like, I don't want you to miss your family. Right? And look, he's going to be home spring break. I'm going to see him. I don't want you to sacrifice your family. God is not asking you to sacrifice your family ever. Right? Do not get that in your mind. That God says, oh, go work at the church to sacrifice your family. That is just the most evil thing you could ever say to yourself. That's Satan speaking to you. God doesn't say that. God believes family is important. He lives in community. Take care of your family. Sacrifice yourself sacrifice yourself sacrifice your selfish times things that are just about yourself only and give to your family i know many of you would rather not spend any time with your family and do something else do that but spend time with your family this is what love calls us to love is so much deeper it's not just a feeling this is what paul says love is just man it is it is relentless and it is calling us to a space that's so much harder and it carries everything. And this is the difficulty, right? Jesus chose this. He chose this, this, the cross, a symbol of pain and suffering. And he turned what we all see as pain and suffering into a symbol of love. He transformed it. He says, I take everything that you see, everything that's going on in your life, and I turn it into love. Everything that you suffer with Jesus, I turn it into love. That's why in John, when he stands before Thomas, he says, you see those scars? I'm going to keep the scars forever so that when you look at the scars, you will know that these scars are signs of victory now. These are worthy 
He's amazing. So, you want to give, give to God? You want to love God? Well, it's as simple as responding to God. I'm going to invite you to come up, come up and sing this final song with us. Come stand close to here. And this is difficult for us, right? Because when we come up here, we just stand on the sides. You know why we stand on the sides? Because if we come and stand in the center here, you can come now. It's okay. Just rise, walk forward, and come and stand in the center. The reason why we don't stand in the center here is because when we stand in the center here, we actually have to be close to each other. <laughs> That's right. When we stand in the center and we're close to each other, we actually belong to each other. We look at each other and we remember each other's faces. We remember that we belong to each other, that we're family. And this is what we actually exist for. God calls us to belong to each other. When you hear somebody singing the name of Jesus right next to you, you know that you're not alone. You know that God has called you to this. That whatever's going on in your week, as Brittany said in the Kids Life story, just coming to church this morning, missing the car that tries to run you off, all the things that go on, it's crazy sometimes things go on. And God says, I want to take all of that and I want to shatter it all away. And I want to take the symbol, the things that are just painful, and I want to turn it into love. That's what God wants to do for us. So when you sing the words today that Jared's going to lead us in, sing them to God. Know that he's calling us to a beautiful place to build our lives. I'm going to pray a prayer for you. We're going to sing the song, and then Jackson's going to come and bless us. Then we're going to divide up. We're going to go to our connect groups. We're going to study and fellowship together. But I'm going to pray this prayer. And during this prayer, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to take your hand and put it on your heart. If you feel responding to Jesus, that you want to respond to Jesus, just, that's all you have to do. Just put your hand on your heart, right? Our eyes are closed, lights are low, nobody needs to see it, it's just between you and God. But I'm going to give you the opportunity for you to make this decision to respond to God. Heavenly Father, I am thankful, God, for you. Oh, I'm thankful for the Spirit. I'm thankful for you, Jesus. Between the Trinity, I don't know how you guys made this decision to create life, but you did knelt down on the ground, got in the mud, breathed beautiful breath into us, and even though we rebelled, we want to give our life to you. We want to love like you. We want to forgive like you. We want our marriages to be strong. We want our parents to be strong. We want to be children to our parents as well. We want to be a brother and we want to be a sister. We want to live in this community and know each other. We want to look after those who actually don't know each other. We want to love those who don't know what love is. We want to repair this, this recipe, this love recipe that should be more balanced, that should have glue, this should have love be so strong. God, may our love be an action, a powerful action, a palpable action. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful and precious name. Amen.